It's Wednesday, May 2nd, and this is The Daily Dive. Leaks, leaks, leaks. At least four dozen questions that special counsel Robert Mueller wants to ask President Trump have been leaked to The New York Times. The questions are the clearest indication of where the special counsel's investigation is going. Questions centered around former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, former FBI Director James Comey, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, and the possible coordination of Trump's campaign with Russia. We will speak to Politico's senior White House reporter, Darren Samuelson, about what's in the list of questions and what happens when a leak comes into a reporter. We will also talk about an upcoming venture for Facebook, Facebook dating. My producer, Miranda Moreno, will join the conversation and give us details on Mark Zuckerberg's announcement and how it will all work. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Are you going to talk to Mueller? I'm looking forward to it, actually. Here's the story, just so you understand. There's been no collusion whatsoever. There's no obstruction whatsoever. And I'm looking forward to it. Do you think Robert Mueller will be fair to you in this larger investigation? We're going to find out. Joining us now is Darren Samuelson. He's a senior White House reporter for Politico. These questions that Mueller had for President Trump have been leaked by The New York Times. They're released in four main categories. What do those cover? Well, they cover all the things that we would expect uh, Robert Mueller doing a serious investigation to look into. So he's obviously focused on uh, the Trump campaign and its connections to uh, Russia and whether or not there was collusion of any kind uh, with the Kremlin back during the 2016 campaign. There are questions that are dealing with Attorney General Jeff Sessions and his recusal as it relates to uh, the Russia investigation. Uh, there are questions about James Comey and the firing uh, of the former FBI director, which led to the appointment of Robert Mueller. And then they're also looking quite a bit at Michael Flynn, the uh, national security advisor, who's uh, termination back at the very start of this administration um, also uh, has played a major role in trying to uncover whether the Russians were uh, trading anything with uh, Trump officials in order to help them uh, win the election. The special counsel makes an appearance in some of these questions as well. Questions uh, surrounding, you know, how did you react when the special counsel was appointed or did you ever want to fire the special counsel? Yeah, it, it is interesting. And, and that gets to the uh, point of uh, whether or not the president obstructed justice. We have seen a lot of media reporting by um, a variety of outlets that the president was not happy. Obviously, when the special counsel was appointed, that clearly uh, has distracted uh, tremendously from his ability to focus on his agenda domestically and internationally. This has been a recurring story pretty much every single day of his administration. So he's not been happy about it. And it gets to the question of whether or not when he was thinking about firing James Comey or later on, um, as he's talked about firing Robert Mueller himself, uh, all of those kind of go to ultimately questions of obstruction of justice and whether, um, you know, the president is trying to get rid of the investigator who's looking into him. Yeah, one of the things that struck me going over all these questions is that Robert Mueller and his team are paying attention to everything. Quotes, tweets, everything's kind of on on the table. And the president even tweeted earlier today saying, you know, it's disgraceful that, that these things were leaked. Does this kill the possibility that Trump is going to speak to the special counsel? I mean, do you think they're going to make that extra effort to not do an interview? Well, um, I mean, Mueller is, is 
textbook prosecutor here, and this is what you do. You study everything that's out there. You do look at the tweets, and the president really has been going against the advice of his attorneys to uh, to be tweeting as much as he has, specifically about details related to this case. Uh, I've done some several stories on the topic that he's kind of created a gold mine for investigators. Typically, you know, uh, a subject is not uh, blasting out their thoughts on an investigation right in the middle of the investigation and putting things, you know, out there for the entire world to see. Uh, as to an interview, uh, the president had, you know, signaled very, um, you know, keen interest in sitting down with Robert Mueller. Um, he has uh, said that publicly multiple times, going all the way back, I think, to June. Uh, there's been a little bit of a pullback recently. Uh, his attorneys have been advising him against it. Uh, one of his attorneys quit over this uh, topic, John Dowd. Uh, but with the raid of Michael Cohen back at the beginning of April, uh, Trump pulled back on the whole notion of sitting down for an interview. Uh, and at this point in time, it's really unclear whether this is going to go forward or not. Clearly, uh, the story coming out is designed, I think, to try and make the president wake up to what he's in store for. Uh, the president is notoriously known as he's gone into depositions to not prepare very deeply. It is a very tricky situation for the president when he does sit down, if he does sit down with Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller clearly would like him to sit down. The president could resist. We could end up in a Supreme Court battle over subpoenaing a president of the United States. Mueller would likely win that fight, but it could take a long time and, and drain you know, some political support that Robert Mueller currently has. You know, It's really up in the air whether the interview ultimately does happen. And a lot of these questions are very open-ended, kind of designed to see, just to let President Trump go off, I'm assuming. Uh, you know, we saw the interview with Fox and Friends and he kind of kept going. Even the host tried to rein him in a little bit. That's kind of the purpose of some of these questions. Yeah, that's the readout we have gotten from people who have gone in for interviews with Robert Mueller, too. I mean, that is the classic technique, is he doesn't show his cards. He just kind of throws out open-ended questions. He discusses things that have been out there in the public domain. I've heard before that Mueller's team has, you know, shown newspaper clippings to people to just kind of get them talking. Mueller doesn't necessarily want to show his cards. He doesn't obviously want to be talking to or giving too many signals of what he knows, because uh, people leave these interviews and they can talk to the reporters, they can talk to the press, they can go on camera and talk about these interviews, and Mueller doesn't want his evidence getting out there. So, you know, the fact that we kind of have seen this list of questions that are largely from the public domain, um, but clearly things that he's interested in, um, isn't very surprising in some respects, except for this one really interesting question about Paul Manafort and the connections he might have to, uh, to Russia with respect to the campaign. That one kind of stuck out for a lot of people looking at the uh, the questions. What's, what's in that question specifically? Uh, it was a question asking, um, you know, what I think the president uh, might know about Paul Manafort's interactions with Russia to help them out in the 2016 campaign. And, and Manafort, as we know, has been charged not for collusion, but for a lot of uh, personal uh, financial problems that uh, he's alleged to have uh, engaged in, and he's facing trial here in July. So at the same time, you know, there's this other story with Paul Manafort and his ties to Russia, his ties to the Ukraine, and... Uh, uh, his time on the campaign was at a very critical moment uh, during the Republican convention, you know, in the final weeks as he was thwarting sort of attempts by Ted Cruz to take the uh, Republican nomination away from him. It's during the the WikiLeaks uh, period when Donald Trump, you know, invites the Russians to go and hack Hillary's emails. 
and, and I think the outreach as well from the uh, the Russian lawyer to Donald Trump Jr. Uh, Paul Manafort was in that meeting. So there's a lot of uh, questions sort of about Manafort and Russia that really haven't been answered, uh, or really a, a clear signal of where Mueller was going, and, and this question just kind of sits out there. Um, it suggests as well that maybe Rick Gates, the Paul Manafort deputy, who uh, was originally charged with Manafort and then later pled guilty and is cooperating with Robert Mueller, maybe he is, um, you know, a lot of people, I mean, obviously he is cooperating, so uh, is he singing and giving all kinds of information about what Paul Manafort knows? And, you know, that would be a place where maybe the president, with that particular question, could get tripped up. Have you heard anything about the possible leak to The New York Times? Some people are asserting that it could have come out of the president's office himself. What do we know about that? Uh, I, I, this is a parlor game that happens with every single story. Uh, a lot of people are trying to guess where this comes from. I think the way the New York Times story is written, you know, they say that it's not from the uh, the Trump legal team. That can send you in a million different directions as a reporter who tries to match something like that. It's almost impossible at that point to uh, to really deduce where a leak comes from. And, um, you know, I've seen a lot of speculation about what the leak was designed to do. I would chalk it up to just a good old-fashioned shoe leather reporting by the Times. How does a leak work? I mean, somebody has something, they contact you. Obviously, sources are protected, but, I mean, what happens in that exchange? Uh, well, it depends. I mean, it, there's a million different opportunities and, and places where or, or how this plays out. Um, as I said, you know, sometimes you're just doing your reporting and you're calling a lot of people and, you know, you stitch things together through multiple places. Uh, every once in a while, you know, that, that that great thing will appear in your inbox or someone wants to, to push a story on you. And, and uh, you know, if you're a good reporter, you should vet that and, and determine whether it's true or not. And you go with it. I don't know. I don't know exactly how the New York Times came with this came at this particular piece, but um, in a story like this, it is very challenging. And you know, we do know, I, I, and I've written repeatedly about Robert Mueller's team not talking to the press, not they are they are not commenting, they're not uh, they're playing it by the book. So oftentimes in in these cases, it you know it is the case that defense lawyers who are free to talk will talk to reporters, and they will do it on on background with um, attribution that can be kind of uh, fuzzy and. Uh, you know, then you can end up in a situation like we are this, where the president is blaming leaks for something where I, I'm not going to say that the Trump team leaked this, but if they did, and the president is sort of able to sort of turn the fire around. But, um, you know, maybe that's just really for the court of public opinion more than anything else. Darren Samuelson, senior White House reporter for Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Did you know that one in three marriages in the United States start online? There are 200 million people on Facebook who list themselves as single. And if we're focused on helping people build meaningful relationships, then this is perhaps the most meaningful of all. So today, uh, we are announcing a new set of features around dating. This is going to be for building real long-term relationships, not just hookups. Joining me now is my producer, Miranda Moreno. Facebook had their annual developers conference, F8, yesterday, and they announced an interesting new feature, a dating feature. Tell us a little bit more about it. Watching Mark Zuckerberg's announcement, he said that there are 200 million single people who use Facebook. And he's trying to find a way to compete with the major dating apps. And what he wants to do is have users set up a dating profile using their first name that the company said won't be visible to their friends and it's not going to show up in anyone's newsfeed. So it's not going to say, you know, Oscar is 
on the prowl. Oscar's right. looking for a girl. Uh, <laughs> hey, I want my privacy. So. <laughs> exactly. The feature is going to be opt-in, so you won't automatically be signed up if your Facebook page is marked as single. It's not going to be like all of a sudden you've got this influx of messages in your inbox from people trying to get on a date with you. And users aren't going to be matched with people they already know, so there won't be the dreaded ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend scenario where they show up in your dating profile options. And this is part of a bigger effort from Facebook to get people to spend as much time as possible in Facebook. This is part of a trend for them that they've been developing these services based off of a lot of other apps that have already going down. I know they uh, have job postings. You can order food online from them. Before introducing dating, Facebook created a section on their site called Marketplace, where people can browse things for sale that are being sold by other users. I've posted things for sale in the marketplace, and it's a huge competition with Craigslist and eBay. I think it makes it a little safer because there's not that total anonymity thing. It's someone who you have access to their profile and their friends. They also created a app in their site where you can order takeout. It's similar to Grubhub or Seamless or Postmates. And you can get stuff from Chipotle, Panera, Papa John's, that kind of thing. And there's also a money sharing app with friends on the platform. So that competes with Venmo or a banking app. Right. And I know uh, from all the scandal that happened with Cambridge Analytica, when you sign up for these things, your credit card information is put in there. And Facebook has all of that stuff. So I know that even with this, there'll be a lot of privacy concerns. But you mentioned that Facebook is creating all these services, trying to be very indispensable in, in people's lives. Associated Press just did a recent poll seeing how much people use Facebook. They found that 12% of Americans who are online use Facebook almost constantly. They didn't define exactly how much that is, but I'm assuming you're bringing up your phone quite a bit. 34% use it several times a day. 15% use it once a day. And then only 12% of Americans don't have Facebook. I'll be so, honest with you, Oscar. I've got my email tab open, and the next one is Facebook. Right. Every day at work. The same thing for me. Uh, I have my email, I have my Facebook, I have my Twitter, and then maybe a couple of other news sources that I constantly go to. But you're right. I mean, that's one of the top things that I have in there. And then they said also that the second most used app, Facebook is the most used app, the second most used app is Instagram, yep. which Facebook owns. So they're, they're kind of a, a monopoly on that one. Back to the Facebook dating. I know uh, Match.com, OkCupid took a hit. Yeah, it's safe to say that investors in the other online dating profile platforms are alarmed. They're spooked. They're freaking out by Facebook's move into this space. Immediately after Mark Zuckerberg's announcement and that they were launching this dating section of their site, Shares for Match Group, which is the parent company they own, platforms like Tinder and Match.com, OkCupid, they dropped as much as 20% on Tuesday afternoon. One of the things that I did find interesting, and, you know, honestly, I think this is actually a pretty good idea. It's, some, it's something, a natural evolution. It is very natural for them to get into it. Most of the people, a lot of times that you know, are Facebook friends. So it only seems natural that you would create the dating site. One of the things that I found interesting is how they would use the groups and events platform that they already have there. How does that work? And that's the big question. How is this going to work if you're not going through your pool of friends or friends of friends, that kind of thing. What Facebook dating service is going to allow you to do is people will be able to browse events. So for example, say there's a concert happening on Saturday and I, as a single person, mark that I will be attending this concert and you, Oscar, as a single person, mark that you're also going to be attending the concert. Within that, you can unlock the event and see who else 
is going to be attending it. And then it's like a free-for-all. You can just browse through all the profiles of everybody going. Right. If we both have dating profiles, exactly, it'll show up so that we can make a connection. Or, and so or we see each other's profile. One of us sends a message and let's meet up at the concert. I'll, I'll get you a drink. So from there, you can either choose to accept the message or reject it or you respond. You can stalk somebody. <laughs> Almost, right? Because I'm reading through how people who are using it can browse through and start a conversation, private message inboxing. What if there's just someone who's kind of going to troll and see all of the women who plan to attend this and right. then Hit up make their people. move and just work their way through the whole event? Yeah, that's true. Why not? And, and you know, it, it's funny. The, these things always come up. But one of the things it said, if you make a profile, your friends won't see it. So... For the nefarious characters, you know, you want to skip out on your wife or, you know, on your girlfriend or something. It's, they're not going to see that you have a secret dating profile. This seems like an easy backdoor way yeah. into cheating. Yes. Mark Zuckerberg in his presentation said privacy and safety are first in mind when they're making this. But they just went through this whole thing with Cambridge Analytica and the company getting your information and sharing it with other third parties. This has a lot of the same things. When you're signing up for your profile, creating and putting in details about yourselves, I mean, that's going to show up in ad space and people that want to target ads to you. A lot of it still has to develop, but it'll be interesting. They're saying they're rolling it out later this year, I believe. It's going to roll out later this year. We don't have a date or even a month in time. And beyond creating this new competition for the dating apps like Tinder and stuff, there are test is going to be how are they going to get people to sign in with this with using their Facebook credentials and not doing the thing that plagues the other dating websites, which is fake profiles, a fake picture, a fake name. You're going to almost be incentivized to use your real Facebook profile because you want to hopefully not have to do all the work. Right. And you don't want to be matched up with your friends. Yes. Or your <laughs> wife or your husband. Right. Yes. Miranda, thank you for uh, keeping an eye on this and thanks for joining us on this. Thank you, Oscar. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.